wrap up our series here entitled, Don't Worry About a Thing. Uh, I'm going to do a quick poll here. Um, just want to know if you uh, know anybody this morning that has a tendency to worry. So if you have, uh, if you know somebody that worries about the, the economy or worries about the family, worries about the finances, just raise, raise your hand. If you know anybody that has a tendency to worry. All right, keep those hands up high, okay? Raise them high. Okay, keep your hands up. If that person that worries about the family or the finances of the children is still is in your house, okay? If that person is in your family, or keep them high if that person is you. All right, I see those hands. Okay, that's me. I'm one of you. I have this tendency to worry when things don't go my way at work or with my family or not as I expected them to do or not what I wish they do. I have this anxiety. I, I can't sleep at night. I, I start... To worry. I think of all of us, if we were honest today, we looked at the economy, we think about our children, we think about the future, there's this angst, there's this anxiety, there's this thing that wells up inside of us and it's called worry. We get a little stressed out, we get a little bit anxious. All of us at times have a tendency to worry. And Jesus looks at all the things that we worry about the economy, our children, our health. The education of our children, our children's friends. He looks at all of the things that tend to keep us up at night. That tend to, to cause this angst inside of us. And he says two words. Don't worry. Don't worry about a thing. Don't let tomorrow's uncertainty steal your joy today. Do the things that you need to do today. And trust God for tomorrow. Now notice Jesus didn't say don't care. He didn't say don't act. He didn't say don't prepare or don't plan. He's not making fun of all the responsible people on the planet. Jesus is saying don't worry. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy with unnecessary worry. Don't let tomorrow's uncertainty steal your joy today. Do what you need to do today and trust God for tomorrow because Jesus very wisely said to each one of us and noticed that there's a relationship between faith and worry. There's a relationship between the size of your faith and the size of your worry. The, the, the greater the worry, the smaller the faith. The, the greater the faith, the smaller the worry. The reason why most of us, many of us, worry so much is because our faith is so small. That's why Jesus says, your, your faith is so little, ye of little faith. Because worry is not simply about time management. Worry is not simply about, you know, managing stress or, or decreasing your blood pressure. Worry is a matter of faith. Worry is a matter of the heart. And God's always concerned about our hearts. That's why Jesus, on his Sermon of the Mount, speaks to us about worry. Because it's not a matter of time management or stress reduction. It's a matter of faith. And God wants our hearts to be full of faith, not full of worry. And over the last few weeks, we've been looking at these powerful teachings from the life and teachings of Jesus. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And we've been learning some excellent principles on how to overcome our worries. Jesus didn't say just don't worry. He also gave a pathway out of worry. Initially, in, in, in a couple of weeks ago, we learned that worry is a matter of worship. And that we can cast all our cares upon Him because He cares for us. That what we do with our worries, we don't just leave it in the office, we don't leave it at home, we just don't leave it in our mind. We bring it to this place of worship and we allow that to lead us into greater faith, greater trust in God. And then last week we learned that we don't just cast all our cares, we then the first thing we do is we seek God's kingdom. 
We seek to live out God's reign and rule in the earth. We let these worries lead us to a greater understanding of God's reign and rule on the earth. And we build God's kingdom. And this week, this final week of our series, don't worry, we're going old school. We're going to read an Old Testament story way back in 860 B.C. And we're going to hear a story about a man who was overcome by worry. His name is Elijah. And his story is found in 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, love for you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. It's on page 351 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. But before we get into 1 Kings chapter 19, I've got to share a little bit of the context of this story that we're going to read this morning. See, Elijah was best known for his battle against the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. I don't know if you know that story, but there's a statue in Mount Carmel. I've seen it. I've been there of Elijah slewing the, 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 slaying the, the prophets of, of Baal. Some of you might remember the story. Elijah picks this fight against the 450 prophets of Baal. I read it to my children the other night. It's this great story. They just loved hearing it. And it's basically this competition to see who is the one true God. Is it Baal or Yahweh? And Elijah says, hey, let's have this competition. There's 450 of you. There's one of me. But let's see who is, who worships the one true God. And with crowds of people watching this competition between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of God, the prophets of Baal went first and they created this altar. And they put a bull on top of the altar. And they, and they prayed that, that their God, Baal, would come down and consume their sacrifice with fire. And because he wasn't responding, they prayed harder and they prayed harder and they cut themselves and they danced. And God, the God of Baal, never answered their prayer. And so it was Elijah's turn and he built the same thing. He built an altar and put a, 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 a bull on top of it. And before he started to pray, he had them soak water, soak the altar with water. And that was hard to do because there was a three-year drought that was going on because of the disobedience of God's people. But that's what he did. He soaked the altar with water and he began to pray. And immediately Yahweh came with fire and he consumed the sacrifice that Elijah placed before him. And the people watching this were amazed and they responded in faith and they saw that the spiritual leaders that they were following, the prophets of Baal, were leading them astray. And, and they went on and they killed these 450 prophets of Baal. And they followed the teachings and the God of Elijah, Yahweh, the one true God. And Elijah's stock just went way up. I mean, people were inspired to follow his teaching. I mean, people were going and, and saying, yes, you are the true prophet. And, he, and, he, and fire came down. And, and it was an amazing, powerful experience. And if that wasn't enough, Elijah also prayed for the rain to come. He prayed that this drought, this three-year drought would end. And sure enough, God answered Elijah's prayer. And the rain came down and the people that weren't able to eat and that, that weren't able to drink water were, were, were satisfied. And his stock goes up higher. And one would think that after God just did this amazing work, you know, with fire coming down and rain coming down, one would think that Elijah would be full of faith, that he'd be strutting around Israel, you know, singing James Taylor, I've seen fire and I've seen rain, right? That, 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 he, that he would be walking with confidence. You know, I've seen fire, I've seen rain, I've seen God do amazing things, but he's not. Elijah, this prophet, is full of worry. 
He's full of anxiety. He's not walking in confidence. He's walking in fear. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. We pick up the story. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophets with a sword. Now Ahab was the king of Israel at the time and Jezebel was his wife. Now Ahab was not a good king. You know, evil, evil king led the people astray. And Jezebel was even worse than Ahab. And he's, and he's telling his wife everything that Elijah had done. How Elijah called these 450 prophets to this competition to see who's the one true God. How Elijah called down fire and fire came down from heaven. And as a result, 450 prophets of Baal were killed. And Jezebel's upset because she believed in Baal. And, and many of these prophets were her friends. And she's upset at what happened and she responds, verse 2, by saying this. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say... May the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Jezebel threatens the prophet Elijah. She says, you're as good as dead. You're going to be as dead as all the prophets that were slain just moments ago. And if you notice, this is a time-sensitive threat. What time will Elijah be dead by this time Tomorrow, so check your watch, Elijah. By this time tomorrow, you're a dead man. I'm going to send my people, and you're going to be like one of the prophets who were sacrificed on Mount Carmel. Now, one would think that Elijah would, would hear this threat and think about all that God just did, all that God just did through him and for him, and look at God's past faithfulness and say, Oh, I've got nothing to worry about. I've got nothing to be afraid of. I've got the God that sends fire and rain on my side. I've got nothing to fear. But that's not how he responds. That's not how he responds at all. We would think that Elijah would be full of faith, but he's full of worry. He's full of anxiety about tomorrow. He's full of fear. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. Because that's what worry does. It causes us to run. It causes us to hide. It causes us to, to run from the one that can provide for our needs and somehow try to get control of our lives. And we're afraid when we're anxious, when we're, when we're stressed out. We try to gain control and we run away from God. Now, granted, Jezebel's threat was a real threat. She was a powerful lady. She was a wicked lady. She had the prophets of God killed earlier. So, so this is a real threat. But, but is she more powerful than God? Is she more powerful than the one true God? No, of course not. But, but, but Elijah let this, this threat, this moment of uncertainty about tomorrow to cause him to forget God's power and faithfulness just moments earlier in his life. And in verse 3, we read this. And when, after he ran, he ran. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah... He left his servant there. So he ran far and he ran fast. I mean, Beersheba is quite a distance away from Mount Carmel. We got a map on the screen now. Mount Carmel is in the north, just north of Galilee. And it's on a little bit of a, of a, of a hill, a little bit of a mountain by the Jezreel Valley. And then Beersheba is another two weeks journey. It's about 100 miles away. And he ran far. He ran fast. I mean, he was running for his life. And while he was running, verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, 
And he came to a broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Now, a broom tree is not that significant, but listen to Elijah's prayer. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm done. I've had enough. I'm as good as dead. And then he lay down under the tree and he fell asleep. And I love this part. I love seeing God at work in the life of someone that's full of fear, full of worry. This is what God does. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coal and a jar of water. Maybe his servant caught up to him, but it was an angel that woke him up. And he ate and he drank and he, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and he touched him. And he said to him, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. He says, Elijah, you're way too stressed out. You're way too anxious. You're overly concerned about tomorrow. You're overly consumed about what might happen to you. You're not eating well. You're not sleeping well. Elijah, your life is a mess. So verse 8, he got up and he ate and he drank and he was strengthened by the food and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. See, Elijah just didn't stop in Beersheba. He kept on running. He ran another 40 days. He ran another 200 miles. He ran far and he ran fast. He ran as far away from this threat as he possibly could. Now, Mount Horeb is a special place for the people of God. You can see how far he ran all the way down to Mount Horeb. Another name for Mount Horeb is Mount Sinai. And many of you know what happened to Mount Sinai. That's where Moses came met with God. That's how we received the Ten Commandments. It's the sacred place for the people of God. And Elijah says, I'm going to go there and I'm going to die because I've had enough. And so he goes to this place and this is what happens there in verse 9. He says there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And while he was sleeping, while he was sleeping in this cave on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, while he was sleeping, the word of the Lord came to him. And it's such a, a powerful word. It's such a great question that God asks Elijah. A great question that God asks all of us that have a tendency to worry and to run away from God when we feel stressed out, anxious, and afraid. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. And this is what he said. And the word of the Lord came to him. And this is what he said. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? You're miles and miles away from the place that I've called you. You're miles and miles away from the person I've called you to be. You're miles and miles away from living out my kingdom, my reign and rule on the earth. Why are you running, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? It's a great question. It's a fantastic question for all of us to ask and answer as we look at our anxiety, our stress, at some of the things that cause us to run away from God. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you overly concerned about tomorrow? Why do you let the threats of tomorrow steal your joy today? Why are you running away from God? And Elijah, like many of us, explained his situation to God as if God didn't know what was going on in Elijah's life. Verse 10, we read this. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. He says, I'm all there is, God. I'm alone. I'm afraid. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to get me too. Things are not going well down here, God. Things are not going well at all. I've been threatened. My life's in danger. I'm better off dead. Verse 11, the Lord said, Go, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then God speaks to Elijah in the midst of his worry, in the midst of his anxiety, in the midst of his fear. This is the word of the Lord to Elijah. This is the picture of God speaking to Elijah. Verse 12, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. See, God was just warming up. God was just displaying His power. God was just reminding Elijah of how great and powerful He really is. God was just getting Elijah's attention. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went and he stood at the mouth of the cave. And then the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you running? Why are you running away full of fear and worry? Didn't I just send down rain? Didn't I just send down fire? Didn't I just provide for you for three during three years of drought? Am I not faithful? Am I not trustworthy? What are you doing here? Why are you running away from the one that can provide for your needs? It's the same question that God asks all of us today who have a tendency to worry. What are you running? Why? What are you doing here? You who are in business or you who have a family and you look at the economy and you say, what are we going to do? And you're so concerned that you're running into the office and you're staying late or you're, or you're running into this and you're running and the anxiety is just rising up inside of you. What are you doing running away from God? It's not God big enough to provide for your financial needs. Or for the parent or the grandparent that has that child and you're just overly concerned and you can't sleep at night and this anxiety is inside of you. Isn't God the one that has a plan for your daughter or your son or your grandchild? Isn't God big enough to take care of your children? Or for the student that's looking up at the next school year and there's angst about the social life or angst about the academics or, or just this stress and you're running to the internet or you're running to relationships that, are, that you know will never satisfy. Why are you running? What, what is causing you so much angst and, and, and anxiety? What are you doing here. And then Elijah, like many of us, answer the exact same way. We say, God, look at all the things I'm going through. We try to explain to God our, our, our lack of faith. We rationalize. And he says, look at, look at, I'm the only one left. I've been very zealous for the Lord, verse 14. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They put your promise to death and with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. They're coming after me, God. No one else knows what I'm going through. No one else can help me out in my time of pain, in my situation. And then God speaks. God speaks into the heart and to the life of Elijah so clearly. Verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Don't just stay in this cave all alone. 
don't just run and hide from the problems that face you. Go back the exact way that you came. And on your way, go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, the son of Shaphalat, from Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as the prophet. Now, you may not notice this first read, but there's already a king in Israel. Remember his name, it's Ahab. And there's already a king in the foreign country of Aram, and that's Ben-Hadad. And there's already a prophet speaking on behalf of God, and that's Elijah. And upon a hearing God's word, it probably dawned upon Elijah that maybe God's up to something. Maybe things aren't out of control as they appear to be. Maybe God has a plan for the nation of Israel. Maybe God has a plan for this foreign country of Aram. Maybe God has a plan for my life, Elijah. Because I want you to go to Elijah. I want you to develop him and let him then become the true prophet. Maybe, just maybe, God's in control. That God has a plan. Even though your life seems out of control, maybe God is in control. But then it gets better. Listen to this in verse 17. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. Elijah will put to death all who escaped the sword of Jehu. And then he says this great word, verse 18. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bound down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. He says, I'm in control. I have reserved 7,000 that are worshiping me with spirit and the truth. They have not bowed down to this foreign, to this false god of Baal. You thought you were alone, Elijah. You thought there was no one else going through your experience. You thought there was no way that God could provide for your needs. But listen, Elijah, you're not alone. I've got 7,000. I've got thousands and thousands of people worshiping me, following me. You're not alone, Elijah. You thought you were the only one left. You thought that you were the only believer in your company, your family, in your neighborhood, but you're not. I'm doing a work inside of your world. Will you trust me? Will you follow me? See, Elijah did what many of us do when we feel anxious and afraid. He ran. He ran away from God. And he let his present circumstances erase God's past faithfulness. He let his present circumstances, his present anxiety, his present concerns erase God's past faithfulness. He blanked out on God's power, on God's work in his life. Just days, just months earlier, just years of God's prayers, he it just, just flashed, it was just gone. He blanked out on God's faithfulness in his life. Even though Elijah prayed with boldness that, he would, that God would send fire and rain. Even though that, that, that 450 prophets were defeated, even though that God provided for Elijah for three years during a drought, Elijah, this great prophet, blanked out on God's faithfulness in his life. And it was just one threat, right? Just one little threat from one little person. And that caused Elijah to forget God's past faithfulness. And when he did that, his anxiety skyrocketed and he ran away from God because that's what worry does. It causes us to run. And isn't that what we do sometimes? If we were honest, 
As we look at our world, the economy, our children, the future, the anxiety rises. And we run. We run away from God when we don't get the job or when we, 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 we don't get the promotion or when things don't go our way at home and our kids don't respond the way we want them to or the health crisis doesn't get healed. We run. We think that I'm the only one left. God doesn't hear my prayers. He doesn't love me. He's not with me. I'm all alone. And we run away from God and then we feel abandoned. We feel broken. We feel as if God has left us. But God's word to us this morning, God's whisper to us this morning is this. Remember. Remember my past faithfulness. Remember how I have provided for you. Remember my gracious provision. Don't let your present circumstances cause you to forget God's past faithfulness. God says, I am with you. I am for you. I've provided for you in the past and I am for sure going to provide for you in the present and in the future. So remember, remember God's past faithfulness in your life. That's how we overcome the worry and anxieties and the stresses that we face day to day. One of the things that I enjoyed about last Sunday during our baptism service, we had a handful of people getting baptized, Ken and, and, and Alan and Aaron, and they shared their faith journey. They looked back and they said, you know, God met me here as a 10-year-old and I, and I, was, I was alive. I, I sensed God's presence. Or God met me here. And they looked back in their life and there was little mile markers on their spiritual journey. And it increased their faith so much so they could stand on this platform and they say, I believe. That God is faithful. I believe that God is real. I, I, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I want to publicly declare that. And as a way of looking back and in doing so, increasing their present faith and future faith in God. See, that, that's how we overcome the anxiety, the pressures, the stress that we face. We look back and say, God met me here. God met me there. God provided for me there. God surely will meet me in this time, in this crisis that I am experiencing today. See, if you want to overcome your worries, if you want to overcome your anxieties, Jesus says, I want you to do, I want you to cast all your cares upon me. I want you to let your worries lead you to worship. And then he says this, I want you to, to put my kingdom first. I want you to just not focus on your knees, trust that God's on the job, and I want you to, to seek God's kingdom first. And then I want you to look back at your life and see my faithfulness, and let that increase your faith today. Do you have a way of doing that systematically? Do you have a way of remembering God's faithfulness in your life? Do you have a picture on the wall in your office or in your home, and you just see it and say, oh, God is so faithful. Look at how I provided for my family. Look how I provided for that vacation. Do you have some way of remembering God's faithfulness? Do you have like uh, marks in your Bible? You know, on the margins, and you're reading the Bible, and you've got a big decision to make, you're going through a crisis, and you just write down, God met me here. And then when you reread that, you remember God's faithfulness in your life. Do you have a, a prayer notebook that, 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 that you write down your prayers, and you say, oh, God answered that prayer, check. God answered that prayer. And that reminds you of God's faithfulness in your life. Do you have a journal where you write down the lessons that you've learned or the answers to, to your prayers? Do you have some way of remembering God's faithfulness in your life? Because that's how you overcome your anxieties, your worries, your concerns. I, I try to journal daily. And I've been journaling for over 20 years. And in my journal, I write down some of the things that are happening in my life and some of the things, the lessons that I'm learning, some of the answers to prayer. And when I look back and I read my journals, my faith increases. And I sense God's presence. He met me there. 
when I was making a decision about getting married. He met me here when I made a decision about going to seminary. He met me here when, I, when my child was going through a health crisis. Surely God can meet me today. Now, I don't know if you journal. I, I hope that you do. But even if you don't, here's what I'd like you to think about doing just this week. Would you be willing to write down the top 10 things that God has done in your life? Just write down the top 10 list. And, and, and somehow say, you know, God met me here at, at the day of salvation. Or God really spoke to me when my wife was going or my husband was going through a difficult time. Or God provided for our needs financially. Or God provided a friend for me at school. Or he, he helped me in this. Could you write down the top 10 ways that God has been at work in your life? And if you really want to overcome your worries, if you really want to overcome the challenges that you face today, would you be willing to then go to a friend or a family member and then tell them the top 10 ways that God's been at work in your life? Maybe bring it to dinner this week. And just say, hey, kids, family, husband, wife, friend, I just want to let you know the top 10 ways God's been at work in my life. And, and, And see that as an opportunity to increase your faith and decrease your worry, to look at the past and say, God surely has provided for me here. He's surely going to provide for me today. And if you really want to go the next mile, you really want to decrease your worry and increase your faith, talk to a friend, maybe a spouse, and say, hey, the next time you see me anxious, next time you see me afraid, would you send me this top 10 list that I just created? Would you remind me of God's past faithfulness? Because when Elijah was in the midst of his stress, when he was in the midst of his anxiety, he ran. He ran away from God. He forgot God's faithfulness in his life and he wished he was dead. He was anxious and afraid and alone. And the best thing that we can do to overcome our worries is to remind us, to remind one another that God is faithful. He met me in the past. He'll meet me in the present and he'll surely provide for my needs in the future. So this week, would you be willing to write down the top 10 ways God's been faithful, God's provided for you. Then share that with a friend. Give him a copy. And say, the next time you see me upset or afraid or worried, would you send me this letter to remind me of God's faithfulness in my life? I recently watched the, the film Soul Surfer. It's a great film. I don't know if you have seen it or not. Highly recommend it. It's about this young teenage girl who is surfing in Hawaii and she's quite good at surfing and she ends up getting in an accident. A shark uh, takes off her arm and she has to go through a number of different things in order to, to, in, you know, to get better and then also get back on the surfboard. And it's this great story of perseverance and character and she ends up doing quite well surfing with just one arm. And then at the end of the film, a reporter asks her this question, something along the lines of, if you were to go back to that day that you swam in this area where the sharks were, would you do it again? And uh, she replied by saying this. It says, I have embraced more people with one arm than I ever would have with two. I have embraced more people with one arm than I ever would have with two. See, she looked back and she saw a crisis that many of us would say was just horrible. And she saw God's hand in that that enabled her then to be a blessing to others. So as you look back into your life, as you see, don't just think about the marriage or the child or something that, see some of the challenges as a way to be a blessing to others because God meets us 
in the midst of our worries, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our challenges. And he says, I am with you. I am for you. I love you. So don't worry. Do what you need to do today. Trust God for tomorrow. Don't let the anxieties, the uncertainty of tomorrow steal your joy today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. That we're more important to you than a bird. That we're more beautiful to you than a flower. That you provide for our needs. And that we can cast all our cares upon you. We can participate more fully in your kingdom. And we can remember your past faithfulness in our lives. And Father, I ask that you would do a work inside of each one of our hearts to decrease our worry and increase our faith. That you would be glorified. That all would see how good, how great you really are. I pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen.